This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Phyllis Strong, writer-producer on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. Trip. Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Let's go. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5 Trek FM's dedicated Enterprise podcast. I am your host for the evening, Brandy Jackala, and with me, as always, is Brandon Shamatala. Brandon, how are you this fine day? Oh, I'm melting! <laughs> oh, my body is coming apart from temporal reality! <sighs> okay. Yeah, well... You know, that's what you get for trying to mess with uh, the World War II timeline. And we have a very special <laughs> guest tonight. We have Dan Davidson from Trek Geeks joining us. Dan, how are you? I am great. I can't beat Brandon's uh, intro, so I'm not even going to try. But uh, I'm thrilled to be here. It's always great to talk Enterprise, and uh, I can't wait. Can't wait. Excellent. You know what you could do that would, would totally beat mine? It's not Enterprise-related, but if you could do the Amok Time Kirk thing, Kill Spock. <sighs> Gil Spock. That's not what we came to Vulcan for, is it? <laughs> Perfect. Oh, and not with us tonight. It's Patrick, because as I you finally know, fired him. Yeah, we, he got wow. fired. We wow. all got fired last week. Um, Brandon and I were able to get back in each other's good graces. Wow. But um, Patrick, Patrick just couldn't, just couldn't say he was sorry. Bill fires me every week on Trek Geek, so I know exactly how y'all feel. Yeah. No, P- Patrick, poor Patrick had a last-minute meeting that he had to attend to, so he uh, he's unable to join us, but he will return next week. He's not really fired. No, I don't think anyone would believe he was really fired. We would not do that. We love Patrick. We yes. need our Patrick in our lives. Yes, we do. All right, so tonight we, or today, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, this day we are beginning our season four retrospective, and we are beginning with three episodes. We've divided this up in a way that hopefully doesn't screw up the narrative of certain stories that come in two or three parts. Unlike my Blu-ray box set. That's why they should just release them all as digital copies, and then you don't have to worry about it. They just flow into each other. Absolutely. 
Or just watch it on Netflix, where they just flow into each other. <laughs> so. Yeah, we're very excited to get into Season 4, finally. So this is what many fans consider to be the best season of Enterprise. Yes. And, you know, if we were to take it based on these first three episodes, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we'll get into that because uh, we are going to be talking about Stormfront Part 1, Stormfront Part 2, and Home. And, of course, Stormfart. Stormfart. Whoa. Hello. <laughs> this is my kind of podcast, people. Stormfront Part 1. I just contract. I contracted it. We'll just, it's Stormfart now. That's how it is. Stormfart. <laughs> <laughs> or for those of you who listen to Five Year Mission, Storm Fark, part Storm one. Fark. Okay, uh, so Storm Fart part one, <laughs> Stormfront part one. I'm sorry, guys. I just did one of those things where my brain was ahead of my mouth. I guess. So uh, Storm Fart part. <laughs> I did it again. I'm just gonna stop saying it. Those first two episodes. So, shall we take them individually, or do you want to take them as a whole, gentlemen? I uh, let's do them individually. Sure. Okay. I agree with that. All right. Well, part one, because I'm going to stop saying the title and messing it up, uh, basically begins on the heels of the season three cliffhanger, which was uh, oh, they're, they've gone back in time somehow, and it's World War Two, and they're being attacked by aircraft because. Nobody knows what the shuttle is, and they think it's an enemy, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, Trip and Travis do manage to survive the attacks of the P-51 Mustangs, and uh, they make it back to Enterprise. And now, hey, here we go. His first season four appearance, Temporal Agent Daniel shows up <laughs> in sickbay, and... Uh, apparently he's near death, but you know, time, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, so, though he may be at the end of his life at this point when he's appearing to flocks, that doesn't mean you can't see him later, as an earlier version, my brain hurts. So, anyway, aliens on Earth being Nazis, so... This is the interesting thing about this episode, like, this is what's really weird about this, I gotta know what your guys' take is on it. Like, what is the obsession with Nazis in World War II, especially in science fiction? Well, that's that's a good question. Uh, I'll preface it with, of course, everybody knows we, we saw the Nazis in Patterns of Force in the original series, and then we saw them again with the killing game on Voyager. It just seems to be a storyline that's it's easy to pick from because we always know that they're going to be the bad guys so whenever there's nazis on television you know that that's the bad guy for the episode so it makes it kind of easy to write around i think is a possibility um i i enjoyed seeing this different kind of nazi than we're used to seeing in other shows whether it be other star trek series or other shows that depict the nazis whether it's in a a drama or science fiction or, or whatnot it was a little interesting. It was very strange and kind of ironic to see the White House with Nazi flags draped over it. And it was kind of weird to see New York City with with uh, Nazi soldiers patrolling it. It was something that, that took me a little bit by surprise the first time uh, that I saw Stormfront Part 1. Um, 
personally, I think we talked about this last time I was on your show, Brandon, is I loved seeing the P-51s because my dad used to have a P-51. So seeing those in Star Trek for me was like one of the coolest moments of my Star Trek life. It was very, very cool. Yeah, I remember that you had said you really liked this part of the episode and this this uh, interesting aspect of these planes. And it is a really stunning visual sight to see old World War II planes shooting at our shuttlecraft. Yeah. But it's just, it's so weird to have it come out. And I wonder why why World War II? I mean, I know that Manny Cotto didn't have a choice because that's how they ended season three. When he came on as, as the executive producer for the final season, this is the bag that he was given and this is the bag that he had to try and pull some rabbit out of. And I mean, I, I, I think he did the best that he could with it. I just wish that this wasn't the bag that they left him with. I think that for the most part, they were able to take that bag and run with it in a way that made it okay. It's not the greatest of season uh, of of episode ones in a season. However, I think that the way that they were able to to take what was going on and wrap that whole temporal cold war around it, which I honestly never really cared for. It was way too confusing. It's way too easy to have a reset button with the temporal cold war. But I think that the way they did it here with the, with the going back and changing history and watching all these different strange things that could happen was an interesting way to deal with it. Like you said, given what he was given to work with. I remember reading an article at one point where the, fan reaction to the cliffhanger to the end of season three was very positive so there was no way that they were going to change what was going to happen in dealing with the nazis for episode one at really? least where did you hear that uh i think i saw it on memory alpha and i think oh i can't remember who exactly it was who said that i'll try to look it up as we're discussing um but uh, the the reaction for that cliffhanger was very strong because I remember, and I've mentioned on this podcast before, that when I first saw that, I'm like, F this. I'm never watching Enterprise again. Like, what is this nonsense, right? Wow. But, of course, I came back because I love Star Trek. So, Brandy, how did this work for you? The thing is, is that World War II is so overdone because it's the greatest generation and it's the thing where we actually had a big part in it except we didn't for a few years you know it's just like oh no go ahead and kill kill your kill yourselves we're fine we've been trying to do that for years and and so they're killing themselves and killing the other people in Europe but once we got attacked then they finally had the impetus to go to congress and say okay now now this late in the game we got to do something so it's uh, it's it's kind of frustrating for me because they make it seem like such a glorious thing when it mm-hmm. wasn't it was horrible it was war and so many people still don't even believe that millions of jewish people were put to their deaths and it happened and it's it, i just sometimes i just wish you know let's talk about world war one nobody ever talks about world war one except for the wonder woman movie so, because that one was way harder to fight, mm-hmm. way harder. But all of these things came out of World War One that we just take as commonplace now. You know, tanks and mustard gas and all this stuff, all of these weapons came out of World War One. So I, I find that one actually more interesting. But, you know, no one wants to watch an Enterprise episode about World War One. So, yeah, alien Nazis, let's do this. Um, I personally did not like the cliffhanger. I liked seeing that Archer was alive, 
But I didn't like alien Nazis. I'm just like, really? Really? Did you think Brandy, like, this is after Nemesis. Like, did either of you guys think Remans when you first saw them? Yep. No. No, you didn't? Nope, because they didn't look enough like vampires. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One of the interesting things about these aliens is on television during these episodes, we never actually got the name of this race. We got the name of the character, but we never knew what this race was, and I don't believe we ever saw them again either. Um, no, they're so in the book, so yeah. I'm sure you know. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, I know that the in Nazgul or something like yeah. that. Nakul, not the Nazgul. That's Nazgul. a totally different thing. Lord of the Rings. Close Hello. enough. Close enough. <laughs> no, it's not. Nakul. Yes. I know that they had mentioned it also in the Star Trek encyclopedia. They gave him a name, but I did. Yeah. It gave it. A, it gave it a, a shroud of mystery. I think. Um, and another aspect of this temporal cold war with this is alien race we know nothing about. We don't even know what the race is, and here they are trying to manipulate our timelines. I thought that was kind of an interesting aspect. Watching this again, do you not think that it would have been better had they been set up that possibly this could have been World War Three? Ooh. Yeah, instead, that could have been more interesting. It could have been more interesting, but then we have to take into account World War Three is talked about in some of the other incarnations of Star Trek. With the Nazis, as much as we've talked about how, oh my God, we're going with them again, it's something that people recognize instantly and can, I don't know if relate to is the right wording, but it gives them something to grasp onto for the storyline. With with World War Three, they could have thrown anything out there and said, well, this is what World War III is going to be like. So for me, I can understand it wanting to be something different than World War II, but I also understand why they chose World War II with the Nazis. Right. Like, this is what I think, okay? So I'm going to give a spoiler for an episode from Season 10 of The X-Files, if you're okay with that, Dan. Sure. I've never actually watched an episode of The X-Files in my life. Okay. So this is from this first episode of Season 10 of The X-Files. Brandy, are you okay if I mention something? Of course. Okay, good. I was just make sure. So if anybody doesn't want to hear spoilers for The X-Files, come back in a minute here. But when I look at this episode, this is what I think. So at the end of Season 10, of the, the first episode of Season 10 of The X-Files, the cigarette-smoking man reveals that he actually impregnated Dana Scully, and he's... William's father, not Mulder. I can't believe you're telling me this. I was just getting ready to watch it. (laughs) I gave you enough warning. (laughs) Now, personally, I didn't like the first episode, but I did enjoy that twist because it was something that I wasn't expecting Mm -hmm. and something that came out of nowhere. And there was a lot of lashback for it because of various reasons, which are obvious, which I didn't catch at the time, but they are kind of obvious. So I look at that and I'm like, okay, so we've got this instance of this and it's like, okay, and I'm comparing this to World War II because it's something that's overused. And this, this trope of, like, I don't know, like assaulting a woman is something that's overused. And it's like, okay, well, if it's something that's overused, does that mean we can never use these tropes again and we shouldn't use these tropes? Or if we can write it properly, can it still be something that's used in storytelling? If I can write the ultimate science fiction World War II Nazi story... Should I write it? Because it's the ultimate World War II Nazi story. Or are we just tired of Nazis that we shouldn't write that story anymore? You I know? I kind of feel like that this continued 
glorification of World War II and exposure to Nazis has actually lessened the impact of what they did. Because now anyone that you disagree with is a Nazi. I mean, if you correct someone on their grammar, you're a grammar Nazi. The mm. word is losing its meaning and it's losing its impact because of overexposure. And granted, language does change with time and context. But to me, that's something that I feel like should always make you feel a little sick inside mm -hmm. when yeah. you hear about Nazis or you watch something about Nazis. Right. Because... Right. Which is the sexual assault metaphor. Like, that's what it's supposed to do as well. You're just supposed to feel bad about it. Yeah. So, but... Now that it's something that's so overused in the times that we're in, is this a story that shouldn't be told anymore? My my thoughts. You know, on I guess it... I probably could have made the point without making the reference to X Files, and I apologize <laughs> no, that's okay. for bringing that up. That's but, right. You've know, been, been dying just... to give. You've been dying to give the spoiler. It's all right, man. You wanted me to dry heave is what you <laughs> yes. wanted, and you got your wish. Here's here's my take on it, guys. I I agree and disagree. Yes, it's overused. However. I don't think it's something that we shouldn't continue to use if it's done well. If you're going to make a garbage story and you're just going to pull in um, Nazis and, and, for example, there's a really bad movie that my co-host Bill Smith talks about where there's dinosaurs and Hitler's riding a Tyrannosaurus Rex. That's just what? absurd. <laughs> but if you're going to write a story – I'm not even joking. It's, a, it's really a movie. It really is. I'll have to get the title from him. But um, if Whoa. you can do it in a way that it is – it is it's good storytelling um, and is not making fun of these things that are so uh, sensitive right now. I don't really have a problem with it. I think I think it can, it's going to still be done no matter what. It, I guarantee you there's going to be some TV show or movie that's going to come out very soon that's going to have the same things over and over again. It's just a, it's just something that people are always going to grasp onto because they feel that they can write about it. Because there was that that. You know, it's just, it is everywhere, and it is so prevalent in our media. Mm -hmm. Like, there's, you know, I'm a zombie movie fan, and they had that, I think it was called Dead Snow. Mm -hmm. It was this yep. zombie film Saw from a few it. years ago where they're all a bunch of zombie Nazis. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, th them being Nazis is irrelevant to the story. Right. It's just something to be provocative mm -hmm. and, like, you know, to generate discussion or something. And it's like, I, I agree with what you're saying there, Brandy. Yeah, it is something that is overused, and that word has lost its meaning. Right. It doesn't mean what it used to mean. You know, like I was at, we, we have a, a, a museum here, the Regina, the Regina Museum. We have our, we have our uh, dinosaur museum is what we call it. But in the basement, there's this aboriginal area. And there's some aboriginal beadwork and stuff. And there's there's swastikas that are like beaded into the artwork, and it's not a swastika. Mm -hmm. It's a running wheel, right? And I don't know enough about the swastika. Like, is this the reverse of it or whatnot? Because I know that there's one symbol and then the reverse of the other. And I look at that, and, like, even that symbol doesn't, like, it's it, it's associated so much with right. Nazism mm -hmm. that you can't really use it anywhere else anymore. So every time I go to the museum to look at it, I see that, and I think that when I see it. And I know that's not what they're doing in their artwork, in this Aboriginal art. But why is it okay then to overuse these Nazis in our film culture, and our entertainment? It's so strange. I think it all comes down to one thing, and that unfortunately is with so many things in today's world. If it's going to bring in dollars, because people are going to go see it over and over again, it's going to continue. It's yeah. all wrapped around the almighty dollar, in my opinion, I think. 
I Brandy. have to agree with you on that. Yeah. And I think the difference between the um, the symbols is that the swastika is is tilted. So with the uh, Aboriginal symbol, the arms go up like in a straight line, north and south and east and west, whereas okay, yeah, yeah. the swastika is tilted so that they're pointing like northeast, southeast, northwest, southwest. I think yeah. that's the difference. I would have to look up a swastika to be sure, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> yes. Because yep. yeah. somebody's going to find out that you looked it up and you're going to get in trouble. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's fine. That. They can comment on the post in the Babel Conference when this episode right. comes out. That's right. Yeah. One thing um, I wanted to bring up that I thought was very interesting when I was when I was watching and rewatching these three episodes for for tonight's discussion. I, I got to admit, I don't think I ever saw Stormfront 2 until I watched it yesterday. Wow. I did not remember anything about it. And I really liked some of the aspects of Part 2. Silic getting to work alongside Archer I thought was great. And we got to see um, uh, uh, John Fleck, I believe his name is, without his, yep. his Suleban makeup I thought was great. And we saw what happened to him, which I did not expect at the end of the episode either. So, so in preparation for this, I realized that I missed some episodes of Enterprise, which is stunning to me. I, can't, I couldn't even believe it. You know, that's not 100% true because I've seen Deep Space Nine like five or six times its whole way through. And about a year and a half ago or whatever, I was on the ready room and they brought me on to do Things Past. And when I went to put in the episode, I thought it was going to be Necessary Evil. <laughs> and I started, because both of them take place on Deep Space Nine during the Terracnor occupation. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching this episode, Things Past, completely out of context, on its own, and I'm like... What am I watching? I have never seen this episode before. And I know I've seen all of D Space Nine. And and I got to the end of that episode, I'm like, this is the first time I've seen this episode. At least that's how it feels. Yeah. And I know that's not the case. And I immediately put it on again and it's now one of my favorite D Space Nine episodes. Yeah. It's but, it's funny because I, I'm like, I don't remember any of this. And my wife happened to be sitting in the room with me and she goes, I've never seen this one. So it's like, okay, maybe we both didn't see it when it aired way back when. But uh, it was enjoyable to watch, even if I, you know, I'm getting older and maybe I have seen it and just forgot. But uh, there were some aspects that I did like. I, I, uh, I really enjoyed, from a special effects standpoint, the shot of the Enterprise coming into the atmosphere when there was like a sunset in front of it. Oh, yeah. That was very, very nice. That's poster material right there. I thought that was really well done. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's a beautiful shot. I want to have a screenshot of that. I'm sure I could actually get one if I just, you know, put a little effort into it and create my own, which but I'll probably never do. <laughs> we get the end of the the arc, though. We get the end of the Temporal Cold War arc in this episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I am kind of glad that they were able to wrap it up. And I do like the Temporal Cold War. I didn't like these two episodes, but I am glad that they got a nice finish to the temporal cold war arc. And I really do love that final scene with Daniels and Archer and all those things rewriting themselves as they go past him. I really think that's a great finale to what the arc was. Yeah. I, um, one of the things I've said on your show before is I was never a fan of the Zindi arc. It wasn't something that, um, over the years I really grasped onto as I've rewatched Enterprise, I'm a little bit softer towards my criticism of it. But like you just said, Brandon, I really like the fact that they were able to actually wrap up in the finale and then these first two season uh, episodes of season four, they wrapped up the Zindi 
and they wrapped up the temporal cold war it was kind of neat they packaged it all in and i thought one of the uh more interesting parts of the episode home which we haven't really talked about yet is they still had a couple of zindi in that episode i thought that was a nice little surprise when archer was dreaming that was kind of cool yeah yeah yeah, well, and apparently we just went ahead and started talking about oh, part no. two. <laughs> That's really... Cause, Zindy. You know, we should have just talked about it as one episode, but it, no, it's fine. It is tough, and I think we're going to have trouble with that with yeah. this season four retrospective. Because, and that's kind of oh. why we divided the episodes up the way that we did. It's going to yeah. be a challenge. It just all blends but. into each other. The, the one thing that I really like about part two is we find out how all of this happened and it actually starts way back in 1916 where Lenin right. is murdered mm-hmm. before the October revolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so th- it's so interesting because just that one thing causes this tipping point 20 years later in the timeline or so, you know, 20, 30 years later. And it's, that's fascinating to me. I thought, wow, somebody did their history research. Well done. It's yes. it's great to see that kind of writing and stories because, as you remember, City on the Edge of Forever, Edith Killer not getting hit by the car has that entire domino effect throughout history. And it's kind of cool when you think about it how one little thing, it makes me think of TNG's parallels with Worf and all the different timelines, how every little tiny thing can make a different timeline occur. That's what I like about science fiction writing. I love that. What would have been better though? Like, let's t- let's put them head to head. What if to generate this weird World War Two scenario out of this, we had our options of Lenin getting shot or Edith Keeler not dying, and then bringing that into this? That would have been fantastic. That would have been fan. That would have been the ultimate, um, you know, coddling to the fans. And but at the same time, we know how. Um, oh, I don't know mean some of the fans can be about canon and stuff like that so it could have had some backlash about? i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> hindsight you just you just mentioning the city on the edge of ever just put that idea in my head i'm like oh, what if they'd wrote that and it was actually edith keeler surviving was yeah. what they decided to do that would have been fun been wow a blast <laughs> yep it would have i like the opening the intro with the newsreel mm-hmm. you know i thought that was really well done yep for part two and it was a creative way to open the episode you know having that cgi hitler like on top of the empire state building and stuff i mean like it's it's cheesy but it fits with the episode of what they're trying to do right he's like looking over the edge of the empire state building and stuff don't fall whoa it's a long way down well it's (laughs) it's something that uh of course this has nothing to do with enterprise but that sort of thing actually is seen again in a completely different series, which is Man in the High Castle. Mm -hmm. And I find it fascinating either way because I'm interested in alternate timelines and post-apocalyptic things. And in the case of Nazi Germany winning the war and taking over America, to me, that's post-apocalyptic. I mean... You don't get more apocalyptic for America than that or total nuclear decimation. I almost said desolation, but that's the same thing, really. (laughs) Desolate and decimate. So I I liked that part of it, too. It was a really well-done newsreel and really captured the spirit of the newsreels that they would show before movies in World War II. Exactly. Yep. Can't disagree with that. 
Good times. Good times. Good times. Is there anything else we need to talk about about Stormfront Part 1 and 2? Oh. I mean, that's... Did we miss anything? I mean, I have a tough time with these episodes. I'm not really a fan. You know, they look beautiful. And I, I tweeted as I'm watching this, I'm like, damn, Season 4 looks good on Blu-ray. Like, ho- it looks better than Season 3. I don't know if they use different cameras or what, but it looks outstanding. I actually have a question. I, I thought of this yesterday as I was watching um, the episodes. You guys remember the killing game in Voyager? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the soldier that Bellana was having a baby from. Yep. I believe that was the same actor playing a Nazi in yep. Stormfront, part one. And he was also the male Borg that got yes. created from, from the, future. the Seven and yep. the Doctor's thing in, yeah. in that one episode as well. The same yep. actor. Yes, it is. He, he's like the male Susie Plaxon playing a different <laughs> alien in all these different iterations of Star wow. Trek. Good Except reference. he has did Nazi accent. <laughs> was that your Canadian Nazi accent, Brenna? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> just yeah. making sure. I just, I just want to say right now, it's important to remember that not all Germans were Nazis. Right. Very true. Because right. they didn't want this to happen any more than anyone else, but mm-hmm. they were living in a dictatorship, and it was do what you're told or die sort of thing. So that's right. It's just talking about cultural stereotypes though. I mean, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, yes, always Nazis. It's like, that's it. That's all the German representation that you get on TV is Nazis. That's true. You know, like it's it's not fair. It's not fair because Germans are lovely. I know Germans. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm not just saying that. I do actually know some Germans. And one of my friends served an LDS mission in Hamburg and is fluent in German. And I actually had a dream about him once where he would, I didn't know enough German to know what he was saying in my dream, but he was he was motioning to me and going, schnell, schnell. And I'm like, Alan, what does schnell mean? And he told me, and I'm like, oh, now my dream makes so much more sense now. Thank you. Apparently my dream knew what you were saying to me. <laughs> What does Schnell mean? It's faster. Come on, hurry up. Oh, okay. So anyway, um, yeah, it's uh, it's difficult, and you know, honestly, we should focus more on those dang French that we're allied with, the Nazis. <laughs> but they don't want to talk about it ever again and pretend it never happened. So they had no excuse. They weren't in Germany. <laughs> Okay, anyway. So, uh, are, do we have any other thoughts about Stormfront Parts 1 and 2? Uh, I don't know that it needed to be a two-parter. I think they could have wrapped it up, and it's there. It's canon. It's on screen, just like uh, Stamets being chief engineer. That's on screen, so it's canon. canon. <laughs> yeah. That's a good reference. I like that. Yeah, yeah I... Um... Uh, I I enjoyed. I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than Brandon. Um, it's not the best episodes of season four, but uh, it's something that I, I enjoyed watching. I think for the first time, um, and I I certainly would watch them again. Yeah. But yeah. then we get to home. Yeah, uh, a little different. Well, and and I I love Enterprise, of course, but I really struggled with part one. Really hmm. struggled and. I feel like the pacing was just way off because there's just so much slogging in part one. And then part two is, 
action, 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 action. And I just feel like this is something that could have been spread out over just one episode and it would have been fine. And the pacing wouldn't have seemed so desperately slow in the first half. But See, that's funny because I actually prefer the first part to the second part. <laughs> well, there we go. Am I fired again? Okay. I'll no, hack my face. <laughs> However, but I definitely, to these two, I think I definitely prefer uh, Extinction. Don't make me come over there. Wow. You will not like what happens when I get there. <laughs> I think I'd rather watch Extinction than Stormfront Part 1 and 2 again. Wow. When, when so. Patrick hears this, you will die by his hand. <laughs> uh, I think he'll just laugh. He'll be like... <laughs> All right. Well, then let's talk about Home. Awkward. Yes. This, <laughs> this episode is filled with a lot of awkward moments for me. Um, basically, this is... Uh, what happens after you've defeated an enemy that you've spent months fighting and trying to find and you've finally completed your mission? Then it's kind of like, oh, uh, what now? So mm-hmm. this is this is what the what now episode apparently is. <laughs> so we have a couple of plots here. We have Archer trying to come to terms with everything he's done during the whole Zindi arc. And we have T'Pol and Trip going to Vulcan to visit T'Pol's mother. And uh, also, apparently, she's going to marry Koss. <laughs> because why not? Yeah, because why not? Uh, Koss, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you got me on that one. Okay. So... <laughs> Sorry, that was my fake laugh. I apologize. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Anyway, we finally meet Teles, which is played by who is played by Joanna Cassidy, and I find her eyes hypnotic. So, <laughs> but this this episode again is kind of a struggle for me because I understand the point of it because you don't go through everything that the crew of the enterprise went through in the last season and not have some issues dealing with it. I mean, they're human beings. And so Archer's having some trouble adjusting to not being this always ready for whatever battle might be around the corner sort of thing. And he's having bad dreams and thinking that the reptilians are coming to kill him and just, He's, he's having some difficulty, and he becomes basically really crabby again, like Archer of Season 1. <laughs> and it's, um, you know, it's, I understand where he's coming from, and I understand why he's acting that way, but at the same time, I'm just like, get on with it. <laughs> yeah, I, Home was not one that I really enjoyed all that much, but I will say the Archer plot point was the one that I did enjoy between the three different ones that were going on. Because you're absolutely right, Brandy. We've never really seen in any series someone really dealing with the after effect of what they've done. And if we had seen it, it never would have been the captain. So seeing it from the captain's perspective and and how hard he is struggling with the people that have died and the people that he's deserted and the entire... PTSD, pretty much, aspect of this episode, I think, really works. Where the other 
parts of it, the flocks and the xenophobia and his balloon face and everything that happens on Vulcan, I, I just I just couldn't really grab onto. Wow, I am so surprised to hear this because I love this episode <laughs> so much and I am not even exaggerating. And before I get into that, I gotta correct you because not only is the time frame the same, but like this is this is their family. It, from, yeah, I, you know, I can agree with that, yeah. But which never... is from the captain's point of view, and seeing the captain deal with it, and we needed to see this with Archer. But Maybe, maybe I... I should reword it. We would never see the... I mean, we saw Picard deal with his trauma in the way that family is just a, a, an unbelievable episode. Brandy, you said it a minute ago. Archer's kind of a jerk in this episode. He's dealing with it in a way that I don't think we're familiar with seeing a Starfleet captain act, especially around other officers, whether they're captains or subordinates. That was what I really found interesting in this episode. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I love this episode so much. I love seeing Archer so angry. Oh, I love that with, too. With what he's gone through. And it's the opposite of Picard. Like Picard is very reserved in family until he breaks down crying. Mm -hmm. And Archer's taken the complete opposite end of it where he's angry about what's happened and what they've made him. You know, he, he, what, the, what the Zindi and what this war has turned him into. And, you know, I like the stuff because I believe what's going on on Earth with, with the fear of the aliens and the fear of flocks. And I love how that builds in the season till we get to the to the actual season finale, not that fake season finale. And then it's it's heartbreaking because the only relationship in any TV show that I watch that I ship is tripping to Paul. And so to see this episode and have her marry at the end is so heartbreaking for me as a fan. You know, and I, that's all why I love it. And I think this episode is brilliantly constructed. And I just, I don't know, I love this. I think this episode is the second best episode of the season because oh, I love wow. Observer Effect, and Observer Effect is my favorite of the season because it's so cool. But I just love this episode so much. I'm going to say something that you're probably not going to like. I'm sorry to, to uh, step well, on you, you there, you'll Brandy. You'll be fired. That's okay. <clears throat> um, the the T'Pol trip relationship, I never appreciated. I never felt that it was as if it was genuine, and I blame to Paul for that simply for the fact that she's a Vulcan and was always just oh I, I just could not I could never stand the way that she would treat uh, Trip when it was obvious she had feelings, but as if she had to act Vulcan all the time. I just never never liked it. Yes, well yeah. that's okay. I mean. I it's fine. You don't have to like it. Oh, but good. I'm not yeah. fired then? No, no not at all. Not this time. Because no. Brandon says so. But, okay. You know, if I got a vote, well then. The only person I've ever fired is Patrick. I don't think I've ever fired anybody else. No, you fired fire me last week. Or did Patrick did I? fire well, me? I think Patrick fired me. It might have been Patrick. Remember. So, But, uh, Brandon, you made my point for me about how uh, the xenophobia builds towards the end of this, you know, and filters into the end of the season to give us two really horrific for me episodes, because this is something that could happen today right now and kind of is happening today mm. right now. And it just, it's, it's horrific to me in a, in a good way, if that makes sense. But, um, we're far away from talking about those episodes. Um, but the whole I I never minded um, to Paul and Trip and I was always angry at to Paul 
for how she treated Trip. But after she marries Koss, I I literally paused my my streaming service before it went into the next episode and I stomped out of the bedroom and I went to the fridge and I got a drink and Dave's like, what's up? And I'm just like, I cannot believe she, what does she think she's doing? Uh, so yeah, that's, it produced an emotional response in me and I think it produced the correct emotional response in me that they were going for is yeah. everybody going, what are you doing? So. It's funny that you say that because people who listen to Trek Geeks know that I love to iron. I love ironing. I put on Star Trek episodes and I'll just iron. And I'm ironing and I'm watching and I'm looking down and I'm ironing. And I'm looking back up and it's the whole scene towards the end with the ceremony. And then she, they kneel down and they, they touch fingers. And then the episode ended. I know. And I'm like, it's what are you, are you kidding me? That drove me crazy. And I haven't watched the episode after that, so I, I'm not sure what's going to happen next because it's been a while since i've i've watched uh, uh the other episodes in season four but it, i was like that's the ending to this episode wow that was that pissed me right off <laughs> oh and I, I love it because it's so heartbreaking what else is there to tell yeah mm-hmm. well that's I don't true know. i Good think point. it's a great and what else is there to tell she's mm-hmm. just married this guy to save her mom's career mm-hmm. she's a she's a vulcan she's doing her duty you know like this is what vulcans are they're about these rituals like, everything about Vulcan society is ritualistic. Right. You know, look at Spock's marriage ceremony back in, you know, Amok time, right? Like, look at the Kolinar ritual that we see in Star Trek The Motion Picture. You know, all this stuff that we see, uh, bringing Spock's mental back into his mind back in Star Trek Three. it's all ritual and performance. Mm-hmm. And so for her to have not married him is going against that. And... She doesn't want to do it. You can tell she doesn't want to do it, but she does it because she's this loyal Vulcan. And I love it. It's it's heartbreaking. It's painful. And it's great storytelling. The thing is, is that her loyalty is not to Vulcan. It is to her mother. And right. so she doesn't do it for Vulcan. She doesn't do it for uh, tradition or ritual or anything like that. She does it solely for her mother. And here's another thing on that note, Brandy. Looking at how her mother is in this episode, does the mother have that same loyalty for T'Pol? If the situation was reversed, I kind of have a hard time thinking that she would have done the same thing. I disagree with that because right at the end when she's talking with Trip, and she's like, tell her she needs all the information. I do believe her mother would have stuck. She's like, you've got to tell her. She's not being emotional about it like I am right now, (laughs) but she enunciates that to him multiple times. He's like, you have to tell her so that T'Pol has all the information, right? Mm-hmm. So I believe okay. that she would for her makes daughter sense. as well. Yeah, that makes sense, yep. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, we can't talk about later episodes, but I, I right, agree with yet. Brandon. I feel that she would have done the same thing okay. uh, regardless of... Well, I mean, she kept her, what would we call it, discommendation from her job or what have you. She kept that a secret from T'Pol all this time. That's true also. I think what I'm doing is I'm thinking about kind of her attitude towards T'Pol when they first arrived and this human is here. I think that's where that's coming from yeah. for me. I can see both of those points now, yeah. Good. See, Thank you for I'm the clarification. See, now is embarrassment. Like, mm. it's like her own embarrassment of mm-hmm. the situation, right? Yep. So, I don't know. Like, I wonder if, you know, in the back channels they would have said, disavow your daughter and we'll keep you on or something like that. Right, yeah. right. 
And she couldn't do that because, you know, as we now know, especially with Discovery, how shady these Vulcans are, right? So, dudes, they are so two-faced. bad dudes. Whew. The Vulcan hello. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was going to make a rude gesture. Anyway, I'm not going to do that. Even though the audience can't see it, I'm going to refrain and be a lady, I guess. <laughs> challenging the notions of what a lady is so yeah so interesting (laughs) differing viewpoints on home and i i do feel like it is important for archer to be a jerk i really do feel that but at the same time i was just kind of like i think it's because i identified with it too much Mm -hmm. because i i i went through something that's not even remotely close to fighting the Zindi for months and I didn't know how to deal with it. And so I was just lashing out at everyone around me just for over stupid things over nothing. And I finally just said out loud to my family, I need help and I need to get that help because sometimes you can't just deal with it on your own. And there's no reason not to get help because Only weak people try to do things themselves. You are actually stronger to admit that you need help and to ask for Mm -hmm. it. Well said. Well said. One thing I wanted to also point out about Home, which I did like, I really enjoyed the final scene with Archer and Saval. That was something that you would not expect to see with Saval's character. But for him to say thank you... The offer of the handshake blew me away. I thought that was just fantastic, <laughs> yes. and really, and really, I think made a mark on Archer um, because I mean they've been butting heads since the very first scene of season one. So uh, I thought that was a great scene. I loved it. Yeah, they started to find their way towards each other in season mm-hmm. two, but it was still a very long time before they could finally actually see each other as anything but adversaries. And right. And they build on that in the rest of this season. And I'm just like, yay, Saval is likable now. Woo! <laughs> I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Great. Excellent. Right on. Yeah, I love this episode. This one's great. This is definitely one of my favorites of the season. And it's very powerful and, and all this. But the one thing that I don't like in the episode that just doesn't work for me is the dream sequence with Archer. Mm. And that's because I just think dream sequences in general very rarely work on mm. screen, you know, like because they're always like that. When something you're like something's wrong here, this has got to be a dream, you know. And very rarely have I been tricked by a dream in a movie or a TV show or something. So, what did you guys think of the dream sequence? Uh, go ahead, Brandy. Why don't you go ahead and take that one? I got to put that into yeah. into motion. Well, I. Here's the thing. Just going by my own dreams as a guideline, uh, that dream made way too much sense. So (laughs) for me, it was obviously a manufactured dream sequence because I knew that the reptilians weren't on Earth. And I just uh, just thought, uh, that is not how dreams work. They Mm -hmm. are, they jump around, they are not linear, and they rarely make any kind of sense. So yeah. I'm, it's just a typical movie or television manufactured dream sequence to try and fake us out, and it did not work. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I've only been faked out by a couple of dream sequences in shows. Orphan Black, for example, there's some great dream sequences in there. Um, 
but yeah, I think it was, I, honestly, I think it was a, a, just an extra way to throw one more scene with the reptiles in there. Even though the, uh, the Zindi arc had ended, just throw, you know, they had the costumes still hanging in the closet. Let's just throw them in and have a little dream sequence. And, and the, him there. falling off the cliff did not really, that was not good CGI. <laughs> no, yes. not the best. Yeah. That's okay, though. I still love Archer. I will always love Archer. <laughs> the coolest part of this, though, is we do have Hernandez, who's the mm-hmm. you know the captain of the NXO two, the Columbia, right? And you know it's great to get that world building, and that's part of what I liked about season four is this world building that was going on, and they were expanding what we saw. Yep. You know, there's more going on than just our ship, and that's really cool. Yeah. 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 That's one of the things that makes me so sad about season four being the final season because it really was taking off. There was some great stories that I know you guys are going to talk about later on in, in future episodes, and it it really just found its core in that season four, not to rhyme, not to on purpose anyway. Um, and it, it, it makes me very sad that it, it didn't continue because that, I'm sure they had some phenomenal stories that they could have gone with based on what they did in season four. Yeah, we wrote one just a couple weeks ago about the Borg Queen and her, and her origin story. We wrote one yeah. just for Warp 5 here. Oh, there you go. Yeah, we awesome. retconned a lot of stuff. We were good. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we made it work. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> we made it work. All right. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of our Part 1, Season 4 retrospective. Does anyone have any final thoughts that they would like to share about these three episodes as a whole? Dan? Well, like I said, um, f- I enjoyed them. It, it was good. Unfortunately, with with schedules and everything, I'm in the middle of a move. I haven't been able to sit down and watch Star Trek as much as I would normally watch it. So to put several hours aside on my weekend so that I can catch up on these episodes for, for joining you guys here tonight, I really liked it, and I enjoyed it, and it was good to get back in the Star Trek chair uh, for just a little bit. So uh, it, it's something that I hope I can do more now that I'm getting settled into my new location. And uh, it's, it's Star Trek. What, what's there not to like about it? It doesn't matter what it is. As long as we get to watch it, I'm good with it. Even if Flox is expanding his face to look like a big balloon. He's like a bluefish. Why don't you like that? <laughs> I just, it was just, it's funny. I love it with the first episode when he does the optimism, Captain, and he smiles. This one just looked kind of funny. And but it wasn't. shows it, his face stretches like it was, that so it could do that. It was like his defense mechanism, and I understand that. I think that if I was the writer with the whole xenophobic um, attitude of some of the people in that bar, his defense mechanism should have been much more sinister looking, much more yeah. scary. And it just, it, to me, it just wasn't scary. It was kind of, it's kind of, but of course, it's Billingsley, and Billingsley's hilarious no matter what he does. So I guess that's part of it, too. Well, even at- What if his defense mechanism was a storm fart? <laughs> yes. It was a storm fart. The thing is, John Billingsley, out of the makeup, couldn't look. He doesn't look like he could ever yeah. harm a fly, much exactly. less intimidate anyone. He's a dear man. I love him. <laughs> Follow him on Twitter. He is great fun. Uh, yes. So, Brandon, your final thoughts. This is a tough start to the season. Uh, I, I mean, as a fan, I know where we're going, and it's something that we you got to stick with. But that that storm front is pretty painful, and but it sure does look good on Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, and home is awesome, so I don't have much more to add. I think it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to going through season four again, and I, I love doing these retrospectives of these little these little nugget dives into these episodes. And yeah, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, to, especially to talk about them with these, what's coming with these three-episode arcs and stuff. So, ah, it's exciting. It's going to be neat. It's one of my favorite three-episode arcs is coming. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, for me, I uh, it's a mixed bag. And I think it may not have been the strongest start for a season, but at the same time, I really appreciated Home for actually showing the real-life consequences of season three and everybody, you know, people dealing with that and the ways that they're dealing with it, but especially Archer, because, you know, it's like, it's like watching, you know, the Avengers and seeing all of these dead giant turtle snake thingies on top of buildings. And I'm sitting there going, now who's going to clean that up? How are they going to get that down from there? I'm the person that's thinking that. And so this is that episode for me is how are they, how are they dealing with all of this? And they don't just wipe it away. They actually show Archer struggling and, and, you know, anyway, I appreciate it. Uh, Stormfront could have been better, which is why it will now always be Stormfront in my mind. I'm never going to be able to unhear myself say that. Oh, and I make associations like that, and they're there forever. So it's officially now storm part. So Dan, where can uh, where can people find you when you're not uh, eating egg drop soup? I don't even know. Uh, yeah, that's a good good question. I'll have to go back and watch it. It's not something that I memorized when I watched it yesterday. Um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, TrekGeekDan, and, of course, uh, every week on Trek Geeks and during the season of Discovery. You can find Bill and I uh, every week on Discovering Trek, and on Twitter we're at, at TrekGeeks and at Discovering Trek. Camp Kittimer on Facebook, come on over, and uh, we will. Uh, we'd love to have you join the fun. And I, uh, I got to thank you both for having me on here. I really appreciate it. Had a great time. And if you need somebody for another one of these retrospectives, give me a call because that means three hours sitting in front of my TV watching Enterprise, baby. Excellent. We're doing it again tomorrow, so you better start watching now. Yes. Start now. Stay up late. It'll be fine. So we have been delighted to have you, Dan. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this with thank us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I loved it. Well, talking about uh, the first three episodes of Season 4 is not the only thing we've been doing here on the network. So take a quick listen to this clip and see what else you may have missed on Stormfart FM. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Trending now on Twitter. (laughs) Previously on Trek.fm, Primitive Culture. A look at history and culture through Star Trek. I used to, I used to have a pretend phaser, and I used to, you know, I had a tricorder. I, I was a, I think I was a science officer in my head. I wasn't like Kirk or a Jedi <laughs> running around saving the galaxy. I was, oh, look at that rock formation over there, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I think, which is ironic because I'm the least practical person in the real world. So I'd be useless on a science expedition. I'd be a red shirt. I'd be if I was in Star Trek, Clara, I'd be a red shirt. I'd be dead as soon as I got on that planet. Right, that that's the more realistic depiction of me in Star Trek. <laughs> right, I'd be the guy killed by the hulking Gorn as soon as I beam down. <laughs> oh, I see Crewman Black's dead. Yeah, should have brought him really. Earl Grey. Well, you're telling me I can't do the thing that I always do? That's bad. Like I don't know about that. Like that that that's that's a very universal thing when you, uh, conservation, whatever. Right. 
Uh, although I just I didn't I wasn't the biggest fan of the execution and then them completely dropping ball with it for or at least just sweeping it on the rug I should say they just decided like eh, let's talk about I, I I appreciate the fact they brought it up at all honestly like if that had been on TOS to be honest they would have never brought it up again right oh yeah gone <laughs> <laughs> give us warp fourteen again warp five. Uh, from Major Carpenter, which is why he calls himself Carpenter. And then he says his first name is John. Jesus Christ, John Carpenter, JC's. Um, and John and was his a name disciple. Is John Carpenter? Oh yeah. my God. I, I never made that connection. Whoa. But his, his previous. <laughs> He's made some really good movies. Because. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Just jumped up a few pegs. <laughs> the Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. You're killing me. I'm going to pull my hair out if that happens, because I really do need to know. What if, like, <laughs> I just had a crazy idea. What if they get the captain in the first episode, but they continue on with these lower deck characters so well that we just never see the captain? And it's like like the teacher in Charlie Brown, like... <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You will find us wherever you may get your podcasts. So if you use Apple products, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please, pretty please, always please leave us a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, you know, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And you can even stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Warp 5. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Brandy? Where can people find you when you're not sneaking Billy Holiday records from buildings to building to, <laughs> you know, play it so you can upset the Nazis? Mm, that's what I do best, upsetting Nazis. Uh, well, you can find me, of course, in the Babel Conference, and uh, my job has gotten a lot busier, so there isn't as much lurking as I used to do. And uh, also, you can find me on Twitter at Brandywine12, Brandy with an I, 12 is the number 12. And also, I do a podcast with my dearest husband, Dave, called The Dark Corner Podcast, which you can find on strangeanddeadly.com. And uh, we do a lot of swearing. Okay, it's really me. I swear more than anyone. And uh, we look at basically whatever we want, but usually pop culture stuff from a darker shady sort of spectacle you know come and join us over in the dark corner because we're cool over here so brandon when your little heart isn't breaking over to paul marion costs where can people find you uh you can find me drowning in my tears oh. over on twitter at brandon Matella. 
you can find me on Facebook in the Mabel Conference every once in a while. You can find me here on the network with The Edge with my co-host Amy Nelson. And we're having some fun talking Star Trek Discovery over there. And you can find me over on the Fandom Podcast Network with my friends Chris and Tom, where we talk about Alfred Hitchcock in our show called Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. And we're going through all of Hitch's films one at a time. And should be out next week if I've got my days calculated correctly, where we have the episode called Blackmail. And it's the first sound film by Hitchcock. And we had the wonderful guest of David Cairns, who has written movies and he has written lots of liner notes for various Criterion Collection releases. So he knows a little bit about films. So a little bit. That was a wonderful discussion. That's fantastic. I can't wait to hear that one. Yeah. Say. Now, if you lovely peeps would like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. And all you have to do is visit patreon.com slash trekfm. Uh, that is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash FM to get all the details. And the perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. And it's all available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. Add an echo to that. That would be cool. It requires <laughs> a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. And we really appreciate any support you can give us and we hope you'll join the team and again you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek fm at this time we'd like to thank the wonderful associate producers of warp 5 without whom we couldn't release this show and their support of our show and the network uh really keeps us afloat and keeps us producing podcasts for you guys daily so a big hearty thank you to norman c lau floyd dorsey Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Ozer, Mark Flessa, and Joe Saltzman, all of whom I would uh, rather marry than Koss. <laughs> yeah, we'll just pretend that they were all extras in that bar. So that's what they got for their <laughs> so associate fighting, producers. They're fighting each other. No, no, in no, that not scene? not fighting. Just just the ones who were just like getting out of the way when the fight started. <laughs> so because I'm sure that they would never have a brawl. Unless they were fighting for Flocks and not against him. I agree. <sighs> All right. Well, this has been another episode of Warp 5, and it just doesn't feel right without Patrick. <laughs> so, But he'll be back next he week. He will be back next week. We miss you dearly, Patrick, and we can't wait to have you back with us. So until then, boomers, keep calm and boom on. At this time, we'd like to thank the wonderful associate producers of Warp 5, whom we couldn't, without whom we couldn't be able, without whom we couldn't release this show.